this week. Monotronics files long-awaited RSA. Avon announces merger with Natura Cosmetics. Malincrot sues government entities over Medicaid rebates for Akthar gel medication. More on all this, and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield and distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding, reporter for Reorg in New York. And I'm Karen Lung. Later this episode, Mark Fisher, our Director of Credit Research, discusses credits that have experienced unusually large volatility after reporting first quarter results. The companies that he'll discuss are Weatherford and Halcon. Thank you for spending your Memorial Day weekend with us. It's Sunday, May 26th. Monotronics provided details on its long-anticipated restructuring plan. On Monday, the company entered into an RSA with holders of 72% of its senior notes and 83% of term lenders. The agreement was also entered into with the parent company, Ascent Capital, which would exchange its cash for equity in the reorganized company. Jeffrey Gardner, Monotronics CEO, said, quote, The restructuring announced today will give our company the strongest balance sheet in our industry and, in doing so, will make us an even stronger competitor and partner. The plan would eliminate $885 million of debt and contemplates a Chapter 11 filing in the Southern District of Texas that is expected on or before June 28th. Terms of the RSA include revolving lenders being paid in full with proceeds of a $245 million dip that would convert into an exit facility on emergence. Term lenders would receive a $150 million paydown and their remaining claim would be converted into a take-back exit term loan facility. Senior note holders would receive either cash equal to 2.5% of their claim or their pro rata share of 18% of the reorganized equity and rights to acquire additional shares through a rights offering. A $150 million rights offering available to note holders would be backstopped by certain cross-holders of the company's notes and loans. The cross-holders would also agree to equitize $100 million from the term loan claims in exchange for a little over 25% of the reorganized equity. Avon and Brazil-based Natura Cosmetics announced a merger agreement, which Natura had first discussed as a possibility in March. As consideration, each share of Avon would ultimately be converted into the right to receive 0.3 shares of Natura. Avon Series C preferred stock would receive consideration of $530 million, assuming a closing in early 2020. Natura said that it has secured financing in part to finance, quote, certain payments that could be required under certain Avon indebtedness as a result of the transactions described. The Avon merger agreement contemplates the company seeking consents or waivers from Avon creditors of change of control and other covenants for Avon's, quote, 5% notes due 2023 and 6.95% notes due 2043, and to the extent applicable, the 2020 notes or the 2020 notes refinancing. According to a press release, upon consummation of the transaction, Natura shareholders will own approximately 76% of the combined company, and Avon shareholders will own approximately 24%. Natura notes that it expects to generate over $10 billion of combined annual gross revenue. In terms of synergies, Natura discloses its expectation of, quote, $150 million to $250 million annually, some of which will be reinvested to further enhance capabilities in digital and social selling, research and development, 
and brand initiatives, and to continue to grow the group's geographic footprint. The, the press release also states, quote, based on Natura's undisturbed closing price on March 21st, the transaction implies a 2018 EBITDA multiple of 9.5x or 5.6x, assuming the full impact of Natura's expected synergies. Based on closing prices on May 21st, the transaction values Avon at an enterprise value of $3.7 billion, that's US dollars, and the combined group would have an enterprise value of approximately $11 billion US. Mallinckrodt filed a complaint and, later in the week, a preliminary injunction motion against defendant Seema Verma and Alex M. Azar II in their official capacities as administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, and secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, respectively. The company is seeking to enjoin CMS's recent decision regarding its base day average manufacture price, or AMP, under Medicaid's drug rebate program for Mallinckrodt's Akthar gel. According to Mallinckrodt, without court intervention, CMS's decision would eliminate approximately 10% of the company's Akthar gel revenue, representing the entire portion of Medicaid sales, and could lead to up to $600 million of non-recurring charges in the form of retroactive rebates. A drug's base date AMP is used to calculate rebates drug manufacturers must provide to Medicaid. According to the complaint, CMS is attempting to reverse an earlier decision that set the base date AMP in 2012 and instead revert it back to 1952 when Akthar was first approved. The reversal would lower the AMP and increase the rebates owed. Mallinckrodt says that unless it reverts to its old base date AMP by May 24th, CMS will identify Mallinckrodt as being, quote, out of compliance with its Medicaid drug rebate program reporting requirements and absent injunctive relief, would be suspended from participation in the Medicaid drug rebate program on August 28th. Mallinckrodt requests an oral hearing on the motion, quote, as soon as possible, but in any event, well before August 14th, 2019. Turning to the island of Puerto Rico, the volley of litigation in the Title III cases continued. On Sunday, the Oversight Board, its Special Claims Committee, and the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors kicked off the week by filing a series of adversary proceedings, seeking a declaration that approximately $3 billion in bonds issued by the Employee Retirement System, or ERS, were issued without legal authority and are therefore null and void. Rolling into Monday, the Oversight Board, joined by the UCC, filed two complaints addressing attachment and perfection issues that were among claims that the Oversight Board previously sought to include as part of an amended complaint against the ERS bondholders. On Tuesday, the Unsecured Creditors Committee then filed an omnibus claim objection to additional Commonwealth general obligation bonds totaling approximately $1 billion. The UCC argues that all claims based on the 2011 GO bonds should be disallowed because the bonds were issued in violation of the constitutional debt service limit. The objection also asserts that certain issuances violated the constitutional balanced budget clause. Later in the week, the PROMESA Oversight Board objected to the claim filed against the Commonwealth by ERS fiscal agent Bank of New York Mellon, arguing that the fiscal agent's claim should be disallowed in its entirety. 
Bank of New York Mellon's claim arises from purported rights relating to post-petition pension legislation, which created a so-called pay-as-you-go system, under which payments to pensioners are made from the Commonwealth's general fund, and ERS is authorized to transfer its remaining assets to the general fund for those payments. Other top stories this week were Case Summary Empire Generating files Chapter 11 in Southern District of New York to pursue sale, credit bid transaction with majority lenders Black Diamond MJX. Debtors highlight, quote, purely intercreditor dispute with minority lender Aries. Two recent cases present novel approach to bankruptcy financing. Debtors enter into controversial new loans immediately prior to petition date. Breaking. Judge Montali extends PG&E's exclusive plan filing solicitation periods by four months as proposed by the UCC. And here's Mark Fisher filling in this week for Jim Holloway with The Week Ahead. Thank you, Karen. So we start things off this shortened holiday week on Tuesday where we'll be watching for news related to Neiman Marcus. The luxury retailer's exchange offers for its unsecured 8% senior cash pay notes due 2021 and unsecured 8 and 3 quarter, 9.5% senior pick toggle notes due 2021 expire today. Tuesday is also the extended early tender deadline. Earlier this month, the company announced that at least 1.5, about 1.5 billion in aggregate principal amount, or approximately 91.5% of the notes, had been validly tendered. Tuesday is also the deadline for Fusion Connect, the New York-based cloud solutions provider, to enter into a restructuring support agreement with an ad hoc group of lenders under the First Link Credit Agreement. And in earnings, Navios Maritime will, will report and hold a conference call before the open. In its fourth quarter, the company reported an 8.3% sequential drop in daily time charter equivalent rates. On Wednesday, Judge Harlan Hale will oversee an omnibus hearing in the PHI cases, including on the debtor's motions to assume certain helicopter leases. This hearing comes shortly before PHI and other major stakeholders like the UCC are scheduled to begin planned mediation on May 31st. Also in court, the Sears ESL saga continues. Sears will seek approval of its amended disclosure statement at a hearing in White Plains, New York. In revised plan documents filed in mid-May, the debtors said that they would be administratively solvent on a consolidated basis, holding approximately $504 million in combined assets against $472 million in combined administrative claims. But ESL and the Unsecured Creditors Committee have blasted the disclosure statement and objections, challenging whether the debtors will actually be able to pay administrative claims, as well as Sears' settlement with the PBGC. The U.S. trustee will hold a formation meeting for an official committee of unsecured creditors in the Nigerian Pharmaceuticals Chapter 11 case, the rare disease by a pharmaceutical company filed for Chapter 11 last week. And that brings us to Thursday. CCF Holdings, the successor to Community Choice Financial, will hold an earnings call on first quarter of results this afternoon. In April, the company held a call on fiscal year 2018 results after completing an out-of-court restructuring last December. CFO Michael Durbin said that the company ended fiscal 2018 with its portfolio down 17.5% from the prior year. And this portfolio contraction, as the company said, led to a, quote, negative revenue variance of 4.9% from the prior year. Also on Thursday, Judge Stuart Bernstein will preside over a hearing on approval of the Waypoint Debtors Amended Disclosure Statement. And finishing off the week, Legacy Reserves faces a number of restructuring milestones on Friday. The company's revolver matures today. In addition, Legacy Reserves waiver under the term loan agreement for the requirement to deliver audited financial statements without a going concern or similar qualification or exception expires today. 
We'll also be keeping an eye on news related to stable Permian resources. On Friday, the Houston-based oil and natural gas company's 30-day grace period expires after Sable Permian failed to make a May 1st $46.1 million interest payment on its senior notes. Sable Permian's notes exchange offer and related consent solicitations also expires on Friday at midnight. That's it for me on the week ahead. I'll be back to do the uh, segment. So temporarily kicking it back up to Karen. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And if that's not enough for you, Mark is back to discuss volatile credits post first quarter earnings. Thank you, Karen. Uh, so I am back uh, to talk about a couple of volatile credits post the first quarter. We've done this segment before where we'll take a look at um, credits that uh, through an announcement or something that happened in the first quarter uh, forced their bonds to uh, sell off. In this case, talking about a couple of different energy companies, Weatherford International and Halcone uh, Resources, both of which uh, saw uh, through announcements um, in their 10Qs, uh, saw their bonds subsequently drop um, at least uh, 10 points um, and maybe more across, uh, across their capital structures. So first, we are going to talk about Weatherford International, global oil field services company. Uh, it surprised the market with its filing of its 10Q on Friday, May 10th, when it announced that it has executed a restructuring support agreement with a group of its senior note holders that collectively hold or control approximately 62% of the company's senior unsecured notes at that time. The company said that it proposed to file for Chapter 11 on or before July 15th, and as part of this process, the release added that, uh, quote, Weatherford intends to continue engaging in discussions with and begin soliciting votes from its creditors in connection with a proposed plan of reorganization prior to filing. So some background um, on the on the RSA, background on the company. Um, under the terms of the agreement, the company's unsecured note holders would exchange approximate, approximately $7.4 billion of senior unsecured notes for approximately 99% of the equity in the company and $1.25 billion of new tranche B senior unsecured notes. The RSA also contemplated that Weatherford will receive commitments for approximately $1.75 billion in the form of dip financing comprising a $1 billion dip term loan that would be fully backstopped by certain members of the ad hoc note holder group and an undrawn $750 million revolving credit facility provided by uh, certain of Weatherford's bank lenders. Um, these lenders, uh, quote, would be available as part of the Chapter 11 process and be led by Citigroup subject, subject to conditions to be agreed. Um, so why was this um, uh, surprising? Uh, why was it unsurprising also? Um, you, you, you could say too, um, the reason why uh, could have been expected, uh, whether for it does have a pretty daunting capital structure, um, it has at least uh, or had at least 500 million of debt that was set to mature in each of the next six years. Uh, this year's maturities included the company's secure and unsecure revolving credit facilities, which would have reduced liquidity significantly if they were paid off. Um, the company... Um, has uh, tried to address its capital structure uh, by selling assets and focusing on cash generation. As recently as the fourth quarter, CFO Bosch said Weatherford is committed to generating positive free cash flow in 2019, though that target was previously pushed out from the original target of generating cash in 2018. 
uh, on that same fourth quarter call, um, Bosch said that Weatherford recognizes, though, that its looming, looming 2021 maturities have, quote, created concern in the market, which provided our, uh, which provided a clue that they might do something. Um, management said that it plans to, quote, explore solutions as part of discussions with lenders over coming months. Uh, Reorg had previously reported that uh, the company was working with Lazard as financial advisor and Latham and Watkins as as legal advisor. Uh, so fast forward to the first quarter, Weatherford said that it believes that it will not be able to generate sufficient liquidity to service all of its debt, and this is in the 10Q, and other obligations or comply with its debt covenants at some point within the next 12 months. These conditions raise substantial doubt about our ability to continue as a going concern. And to address this projected shortfall in liquidity and capital structure constraints, Weatherford said that expects to reach an agreement in principle with holders of a majority of unsecured senior notes on the terms of a restructuring support agreement. Furthermore, uh, Weatherford said in negotiations for definitive commitments related to debtor and possession facilities, which are expected to be completed in the near term. Uh, as for results, during the first quarter, Weatherford generated negative $300 million in free cash flow. Revenues decreased 5% to $1.3 billion. Weatherford's first quarter targeted transformation savings of $30 million were not achieved, primarily due to higher than anticipated costs associated with rationalizing the company's manufacturing footprint and market headwinds. Weatherford also pointed to diminished pricing leverage and lack of supply chain savings, contributing to slower progress on its transformation targets. Weatherford expects that the achievement of its transformation target of $1 billion in incremental adjusted earnings before interest tax and appreciation compared to 2017 will take significantly longer than the original year-end 2019 target date. Weatherford, uh, later in, in relation to the RSA, uh, said that support for its RSA has increased to 74% of note holders. So that's, uh, that's Weatherford. That's what happened. Uh, moving on to Halcone. The EMP focused on uh, the Permian and Delaware Basin. Uh, on May 8th, Halcone entered into an amendment to its credit agreement in which its lenders waive compliance with the consolidated total net debt to EBITDA ratio covenant for the three months ended March 31st, while raising the applicable margin on the company's borrowings and imposing certain reporting and other obligations upon the company. The waiver extends as to compliance at March 31st until August 1st, provided that it may be terminated on July 1 by the majority of lenders in their sole discretion and earlier upon the occurrence of certain other events. The lenders under the credit agreement um, concurrently redetermined the borrowing base lower to $225 million, uh, which was a reduction from $275 million that was uh, available to them at December 31st. So uh, why the need for the covenant waiver? Um, Hakon said that the need for the covenant waiver is a result of the company's strategic decision to transform into a pure play single basin company focused on the Delaware Basin in West Texas, which resulted in Halcone divesting producing properties located in other areas and acquiring primarily undeveloped acreage in the Delaware Basin. This all resulted in a significant outlay of capital expenditures for drilling activities to replace lost production and related EBITDA. This is according to Halcone. The company said, quote, anticipating that it might be challenging to comply with the covenants under the senior credit agreement, the company has periodically sought and obtained amendments and consents from the lenders under the senior credit agreement. 
In addition to the waiver, the consolidated total net debt to EBITDA ratio for the quarter, the waiver also extends until August 1st, provided that it may be terminated on July 1 by the majority of lenders in their sole discretion and earlier upon the occurrence of certain other events. According to the 10Q, Halcone's current, uh, this quote, current internal projections show that it will not be in compliance with the consolidated total net debt to EBITDA ratio and the, cu- the current ratio covenants in certain future periods, beginning with the three months ended June 30th. As a result, Halcone said that it sought an amendment of the covenants for the 12-month period following the issuance date of the unaudited condensed consolidated financial statements as of March 31. However, the lenders did not approve. As a consequence, the company said, if the company fails to comply with the financial covenants under the senior credit agreement for the three months ended June 30th, as projected, or there is an early termination, it will be in default under the senior credit agreement. So on to results. Uh, in its first quarter uh, 2019 earnings release, uh, Halcone reported a 14% sequential decline in revenue to $51.9 million and a sequential decrease of 10.5% of company reported adjusted EBITDA to $21.9 million. The company burned $148.5 million levered free cash flow in the quarter, uh, which comprised of negative $36.8 million of operating cash flow, $81.1 million spent on oil and gas capex and 30.6 million spent on other capex uh, so Halcone's capital structure uh, for all those listening it, it consists of 105 million of debt outstanding under its revolver and a 625 million senior note due 2025 that pays six and three quarters and that's just, that senior note was the note um, that prompted this uh, th- this discussion as uh, one of the volatile credits that we wanted to to focus on. So those are just a couple of names that we're following here. Reorg um, wanted to highlight um, as um, new uh, n- new more volatile credits that uh, probably have um, somewhat of a tail and will continue to be active for um, the weeks and months to follow. So we'll be continuing to watch them and um, and many more. Thank you and. Connor, back to you. Thanks for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find all of our podcasts on our media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Connor Skelting.